0: We got another week on tap. We are a lot of gagging Sports, as always. I'm Bo Reed, along with Samantha Button and Matthew Irby. We're gonna talk some baseball and play a little armchair umpire tonight. But as always, I like to check in with my with my guys. See how see how we're doing, Samantha. How are things in New York? Are you still dealing with some smoke from the from the the Great North? No, no,
1: it's it's gone. It's gone. We're no longer under by Canada um, so great news um what is it 54 40 year fight wasn't that the slogan from whatever that war was where everyone America and Canada were having a war uh, this is a fuzzy area in my American history knowledge yeah fifty-four 40 year fight I don't know Canada attacked again
0: but, you know, <laughs> oh boy Irby how about how about you how are you doing down there in Texas
2: All is well, it's hot, but that's just Texas, you know, it's been in the upper 80s, so it's always fun when people are like, wow, it's really hot, it's like, no, it's pretty heating, give it a minute.
0: (laughs) You know, you'll get a kick out of this, I I certainly did. Uh, My phone started buzzing early this morning, and then again, while I was at the grocery store, it buzzed at me again uh, for heat advisory, so I'm like, okay, what's going on? So so I I get down into into the weather app, and the high is 91 degrees. So immediately I think, okay, it's the heat, it's the index, right? Like like they're expecting it to feel obsessively hot or oppressively hot. No, no, um, it never got that high. So like we get heat advisories in South Florida where Texans are going to go, eh, not really, no.
2: Uh, yeah, that's always fun when we start getting those, but. I, I'm weird. I am definitely a very odd, odd individual because I was a catcher. So growing up in Texas and playing <laughs> in 105 degrees, doing double headers of catcher's gear. Like people say, is it hot? Like, no, it's not. Cause I don't have 10 pounds of gear on. So I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, it's been a fun week in baseball. So I think we should just go ahead. Let's get right to that. Samantha, what are you going to lead us off with tonight? All right. Well, let's start with
1: something that happened last week, but I think it's still interesting because it's technically still going on. So Alec Manoa has been sent to the complex league in Florida to, you know, figure some stuff out because stuff ain't going that well. Uh, he is one in seven. Um, he has a six point three six ERA, a negative one point three WAR, and a one point nine zero WHIP. So, you know. If you have never seen baseball before, I assure you that is very bad.
0: 1.9. Wow. Yeah, brutal. (laughs)
1: Um, So, poor Alec. Um, There's a lot to unpack here, but we might start with the fact that Alec is a bit of a round boy, a bit of a bowling ball. Um, And and there have been some insinuations made that Alec is simply too fat for the pitch clock.
0: (laughs) Oh no! <laughs> it's
1: hilarious. Um hilarious. And guys, you're allowed to laugh about this. By not. It's, it's professional athletes are paid to be in shape. So you know, if one of them gets a little tubby, guess what? Uh that's on uh, him. This, this we're not we're not fat shaming here. We are fat shaming, but you're allowed because you paid a lot of money to you know, be able to not die out there. Um, but. You know, I mean, I guess the good news is that clearly they're seeing something I would imagine that they feel is mechanical, because why else would you send somebody down to the, the complex lease specifically? Because that's where all your your tech and also your best development people are who are going to be able to help a guy fix something, whether it's a hitch in his delivery or what have you, or I don't know, maybe they just want to hide him somewhere so that they can make him go jogging in the upper or something, they're going to have alligators chase him, uh, so he drops a little weight or something, um, but uh, yeah, poor, poor Alec, and, and I say this is because he likes Alec Manila very much, um, first of all, it's just hilarious listening to him. Uh, you know, war war with the, the Yankees and with Garrett Cole and whatnot and um, you know, and he's a he's a smart guy and an affable guy and somebody who, you know, all indications would be that he is somebody who is receptive to direction and to pay attention to data and to the kinds of things that will help him get back to being the pitcher that he was before this, which was a pretty darn good one. You know, he was he's twenty six and sixteen in his career. His career ERA is three point one nine and he has a one point one five lift uh in, the, in his three years with the Toronto Blue Jays, so there's hope for for Alec, but I don't know if he's on a, you know, maybe, maybe he's on a diet. Uh, maybe Florida is the best place to. I don't know if they're gonna make him eat
0: iguanas or something. I, don't I, know, I hope not. I, <laughs> I hope not. Don't eat iguanas. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. He would not have a problem with the pitch count. Uh, the pitch clock, by the way, Bartolo.
1: Well, you see, this is the thing. This is the thing. There are fat athletes who are in great shape. And then there are fat athletes who are in not-so-great shape. Like, we don't need Bartolo couldn't get out there and just completely bank or set pitch clock and be completely fine. He absolutely could. Alec Manoa, not so sure.
0: (laughs) Seems like it's really taken its toll on him. (laughs) I mean, that's... I would, God, it'd be hilarious though if that really was not the out of shape. But we're, we're joking about that, but like if it really was the pitch the clock, the pitch clock that that has them all out of source, that would be, I'd <laughs> be pretty damn funny uh, to have a rule change just completely just derail a pitcher like this. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, for me, it's got to be something mechanical, right, Irby? Like it, it's, it almost has to be. But it's 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 an interesting theory.
2: Oh, if you're looking for me to be the, the voice of reason here, you need to switch to somebody else. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I agree. I agree no, I, I, yeah, this is, um, so first reports out of the uh, the Florida Complex League, um, which I, every time I see FCL, I was like, what sport is that? Oh, no, that's, that's basically Um, All they would say is it's very encouraging. That's the hell good. does that mean? That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> um, so, he lost three pounds. <laughs> yeah. Well and that's the thing is like there's where I'm going, because we've always seen this. Like we, we, we love the uh, the injury reports where we've seen head, finger, and then we've had hand foot mouth disease, all these nice. fun ones yeah. like like what is it what what is here? Is it is it is it BMI? Is that why he's on the uh BMI? Or, or, or is it comprehension? Maybe it's comprehension. Yeah, he went on the deal for comprehension, hard time understanding that numbers counting down. I'm thinking BMI. I I, I, you know, so added on to those comments. Yes, very encouraging. They said he is attacking all aspects of this, um, whatever the hell we're calling it. Like I, I, I can't, I can't comprehend. Maybe I need to go on the deal as well, but the comprehension here, Alec. I wish you the best of luck. Uh, please don't be like a John Singleton and you know strike some kid out and be like, yeah, yeah, that kid's fifteen. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Like I I I don't know what to do here, but you know it's the, hopefully it's just the junior slump. I know we've seen many times we've seen the sophomore slump. June, this is just the junior slump, and Alex just needing to get back to his roots because you know he is from Homestead, Florida. So maybe just getting back to Florida is going to help him rediscover his mantra or whatever.
0: Yeah, or he gets that home hometown cooking and gets even worse. I...
2: Well, that ain't going to help the BMI. Some fried gator. Not exactly helping you out here. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, is alligator a lean meat? I feel like that's probably a lean meat. I mean, very gamey. It's, yeah, Not it's, a fan. It's, it, it, it it's relatively. Very
2: gamey. Well, it, it's probably lean, but if you're dip, you're deep frying it, that ain't gonna help you. If we got okay, some good gator, just
1: cross over into a whole other problem of, like America. <laughs> that like, well, it doesn't really matter what it is. Deep fry it; it's
0: no longer a good thing to eat. Like,
2: take for example, chickens. Um, so. Okay. If I fried my chicken with my diet coke, I'm on a the diet. There's, oh, <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a the salad and ranch dressing. Sure. Um. See, I, I believe I actually haven't done this, but the trend in Florida for cooking alligator is to put it on the grill whole and then like smoke it.
1: Deep. oh, Okay, so maybe you actually, because I don't really know how you eat it. The only time I've ever had it is there is like an upscale restaurant in Disney World where they serve you as like an amuse-bouche um, alligator pate. And it tastes like, like I don't know, like a vaguely smoky, like almost like a salmon dip. You know, I think mean, they serve it to you with crackers Like you definitely cannot tell it's an alligator. You can't tell there's meat in it. So this is my only experience with eating alligator. I was you know, it was fine. I, I would say it was fine. But this is the first I've heard of, like, taking the entire alligator and, like, shopping. That's a big grill, by the way. You would need a big grill for
0: that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well. Those exist. The really ginormous smokers. Usually they're built by the person that owns them because you can't get them in stores. <laughs>
1: so. Maybe Alec can borrow one and smoke an alligator. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Like, not the worst way to prepare me if you're, you know, looking to drop a few pounds.
0: Uh, <laughs> All right. What, what else do you have for us, uh, Samantha? What's what's topic two? All
1: right. Well, I thought we should check in on the AL Central again. Um, I think that the tide is shifting a little bit. We, of course, around these parts, partly because one of us is a homer and two of us are secondary homers. And also partly because we've seen this movie before, we're just assuming that it was only a matter of time before the Guardians kind of came up and passed the Twins, and it's, you know, again, it looks like that's how it's going to go. Um, Minnesota, I we've kind of finally reached the point where I think it was a combination of the Twins just being completely ineffective and looking very, very flat in their last couple of losses. You know, they don't look like a cohesive unit. They don't look like they care out there. they had a ton of injuries. They also look pretty lackadaisical. They're lollygagging, if you will, Um, to the point where I I think we're even seeing a a lot more of the sort of national analysts who were previously favoring Twins coming around and saying, yeah, they they look like they're on a bad path. So it seemed like a good time to kind of come in and look at that right now. You know, Detroit has fallen way out, as we all knew they would. So it's just the Twins and the Guardians hanging around. The Guardians are currently two and a half games back of the Twins, and generally speaking, look like they're trending upward. The Twins look like they're trending downward. Chicago is doing whatever it is. It's just always a mystery. Um, and Detroit is taking a nose dive. and the Royals have managed to make themselves the worst team. Baseball behind the team that's literally doing everything they can to try to be the worst team in baseball in the Oakland A's. So... Uh, it looks like we're kind of finding its own level. Uh, there's really not much of a race here outside of the Twins and
2: the Guardians,
1: and it looks like the Guardians are poised to do what they did a year ago and what they have done many times in the past, and then everybody else is kind of falling out of the race. Most of the discussions about the White Sox are about whether it makes sense to sell the deadline. Uh, they haven't done anything to say that they are going to hang around here, so... But, uh, well, what's everybody think? Where where are we at on this? As a, as a guardian, stand I would call myself cautiously optimistic at this point.
0: Actually, who am I kidding? You, you all know I'm
1: completely convinced the Guardians
0: are going to pass them. I'm probably going to be right. <laughs> yeah, Irby, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question <laughs> that the Guardians are going to pass the Twins. Uh, and you, you look at the rest of that division. There's there's not exactly a threat, you know. And and you know, I'm sure right. There's probably a bunch of people right now. That are listening and think oh well with those White Sox They're, no no not no not even close uh, this division for me is the Guardians to lose it was like like that going into spring training and I've seen nothing to suggest even with even with the struggles offensively I see I still see nothing to suggest that that they can't pass the Twins whether or not they actually reinforce that offense at the deadline or not
1: yeah I agree. I agree. They're just, I, I would need to see something pretty convincing that things were heading in the other direction to believe any differently. And so far, <laughs> everything that we are seeing is backing up the viewpoint that we've held since before the start of the season. I mean, essentially. I think that the, the most surprising thing we have seen is that, like, Detroit looks like maybe they could salvage their rebuild after all. Doesn't mean they're going anywhere this year, but that's right. probably the most shocking thing that's happened in this division. Everything else is like, yeah, this is about what we expected.
0: You know, and this is actually this is actually perfect. You know, because we, we we talk about how awful the Twins are in the postseason all the time. This year, they had a golden opportunity to just absolutely bury the Guardians, and mm-hmm. didn't didn't do it. Didn't do it. So so now we've gone from choking in the postseason to, to choking while the, the the Guardians are down. Well, and they they
1: played two series. And they lost the first series to the Guardians, and they split the second one. And there, that was your opportunity to, to really bury the Guardians. And instead, they're playing the way that they normally play in the second half, where things just get worse and worse and worse until the Guardians end up burying them. So it's like, you know, if you were going to get if you were going to have a fighting chance of hanging on here, because we all know how this is going to go in the second half, then you needed to really bury Cleveland like 12 games down, because that's how mm-hmm. they've been able to win the division in the recent past in the years where they managed to do it is they buried them too far, and then by the time the Guardians caught up, they ended up like three games back, and then they ran out of season. So, I mean, I would argue that it's public service because, like, nobody wants to see the Twins in the postseason, right? It's like an automatic exit, so... You know, to be the team that's going to at least maybe win a series and make it interesting. So we're we're really doing you all a service. Um, I'm doing this. but yeah, I, I just the, the Twins—they had their chance. Like the, the Guardians were like completely lost offensively.
0: Mean, they could have buried up and didn't do it. That's right. <laughs> Irby, how about you? What are your thoughts here?
2: Well, first, clarify. Yeah, as from a fan of the sport and the 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 game of baseball, no one wants to see the Twins in the postseason. As a Rangers fan, I'd love to see the Twins in the postseason. really make that series a whole lot easier right, getting fair. those guys. That would be but, yes, as a fan of baseball, no. No Twins. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, so to, you test on it, I'll go from the bottom up. Uh, yes, Kansas City is the worst team in baseball. Uh, they're, they are proudly going for that. Um, they've got a bunch of old-timers as their best players. They've got no future. Detroit, yet, yeah, oh, man. It was fun while it lasted. Chicago, no, I have zero confidence they can do anything about this. And I know they're only sitting three behind Cleveland. I think that's too far. Zero confidence in Chicago. So it is the two-team. And you guys said it best. Like, Minnesota, you had your chance. And you didn't get it done. And I know you've had back-to-back days. Well, Carlos Correa was the hero the last two games. Yeah, that's awesome. He's not going to do that 50 more times. So this is going to continue to get worse. Like, okay, great, awesome. It's... no, I, I I can't. No, no, no. This is this is not in well. Um, I think you guys said it about how you put it. If you had an opportunity to bury Cleveland, you didn't do it. And so, yeah, the Guardians. It's just a matter of time. And if there was two months left in the season, three games is really easy. If there was a month left in the season, they can do it. We got a whole lot of baseball left to play.
0: Yep, 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 yep. Anything else, there, Samantha? Are you ready to go on to topic three?
1: No, no, it's going to topic three. We're we we're going to hang around the AL Central a little more with this one. Um, oh, cool. So, or at least in my case, yeah. Um, and I want to hear what you guys have to say about this, too. So, we, uh, you know, we have Hall of Fame inductions coming up, and a lot of sort of recent controversy about who deserves to be in the Hall and who doesn't. And so I kind of got to thinking about Hall of Fame snubs. And certainly not a new topic, but I know I have one that I feel pretty strongly about. I imagine you guys do, too. So, you know, curious to hear everybody's kind of opinions. like, who's the guy? Who's the one guy? If you could just go to bat for a guy and say, voters are insane. I cannot believe that this person is not in the Hall of Fame and make your case. Tell me who that person would be. Um, I'll, I'll throw mine out there, which I would imagine people listening to this, who know they already know what this is going to be, but... For me, it's Kenny Lofton. Um, I I think it's just unconscionable that he fell off the ballot uh, on his first go-round. It's just kind of unbelievable. And to me, what that kind of exposes is the flaw in the voting system where I don't know that you should be able to vote on somebody's Hall of Fame case if you did not watch them play personally. So if you are either not old enough or were never a participant in that market, We're never paying attention to this person while they were playing, then you probably shouldn't be deciding whether they get into the Hall of Fame or not. Because, you know, we have these threshold numbers where it's like, well, if you're over this number, you're guaranteed to get in. But we also have a lot of people, too, who don't necessarily meet that criteria, but are all-timers. And Kenny Lofton was one of those guys who just did everything well. He was one of the best players in the game and was recognized as such. When he was going, it lasted a really long time. There was really nobody who was considered better at the position at the time other than Ken Griffey Jr., which I, I think raises another issue with Hall of Fame voting, which is that if there are two really good center fielders from the same era, who cares? Put them both in. Like, there's no law that says there can only be this number of people from this era. It's the same thing we ran into with the shortstops from that era. Like, don't keep people out because of that. and and I say this as somebody who is a small hall person, who doesn't believe in just taking everybody in there, it's not the hall of very good, but I think that Kenny Lofton was great, and Mm -hmm. it's sort of bizarre that Omar Vizquel stayed on the ballot, and Lofton didn't, and while I would certainly advocate for the Hall of Fame case for Omar Viscal as well, because he is another one who I think that the numbers don't necessarily bear out, what you saw on the field. Um, for the rest of my life, every double play looks slow to me. Everything looks like it's happening mm-hmm. in slow motion, yeah. because I grew up watching Omar, and it was like a completely different animal. And, but it's weird to me that Vizquel was able to hang around and watch it wasn't, because the only real difference in their cases is that... If anything, it should have been the other way around, because if you have people voting on character, and this is another thing I don't think you should do, like if somebody cheated to get their numbers, yes, I agree, don't vote for them, keep them out, but it's not the Hall of Nice person. And Omar Vasquez, mm-hmm. kind of a bad dude, but Kenny Lofton has nothing objectionable about him. So if anything, he should have been the one hanging around the ballot, because there's certainly nothing off field. For those people who do believe in voting on character, Mm -hmm. to suggest that Kenny Lawson is anything other than a stand-up guy who had no issues and was not a problem in any way. I don't know, man. I'm still mad about this. I'm probably going to be mad about this
0: forever. (laughs) Well, he's never going to get in, so I would assume so. I
1: don't yeah, know, I mean, guess I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be on one of those like BS things a long time down the road where they somebody, they just stick somebody in there. It just super bumps me out because it's like, oh man, like it's just, I don't know. I, I feel we could do ripped off by
0: this. We, we, we could do a long distance high five from our from our prospective nursing homes. It'll be fine.
1: Oh, man, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, if it, if it happens, yeah, we're going to have like a virtual party from our craftmatic beds when we're 90, and because we can't actually meet up to have a party because, you know, neither one of us can, you know, walk, um, we're definitely
0: Where a party would kill us?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we would be the last party we'd ever go to, which actually, now that I think about it, would not be a bad way to go, so if we're like 100, sure. when this happens, I want to consider it, but, um, I don't know, you know, I'm kind of holding out for like Shrine of the Eternals here, you know, that does all (laughs) the the weird little Hall of Fame, you know, out in California, um, Shrine of the Eternals would be cool too, so I'd love to see, maybe make the Kenny Lockham case for that, if you can't get into the actual baseball.
0: Hall of Fame. Oh boy, well, Irby, how about you, who is your Hall of Fame snub?
2: I so first of all, great argument there, I love the, uh, Love the Kenny talk and all that. And he got me thinking he needs short time with the Rangers too. So definitely, yeah, get him in there. Um, yeah, love that. I So mine, I, this was tough because there's, there's, you know, the, the, there's the hometown guy that I, I definitely want that's not going to have the numbers or anything to get in there. So I have to kind of lean a little more towards numbers and everything. Um, and so mine is, and, and he did spend some time in Texas, but he's not known for being a Ranger. He's known for being a giant. And that is one that Will Will Clark. Ooh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. hmm mm-hmm.
2: Um, I you know if you look at his time with the Giants, it was like he was. This is a young a young man, said in his early careers in the late eighties into the early nineties. Will Clark looked like he was destined for it. I mean, he had a multi All Star MVP. Multi MVP was he a runner up one of the years? Um, in, in, I think that was the eighty nine season in 1988, you know, 100 RBI, multiple 100 RBI guy, 100 walks again in 88, you know, it's just huge bat for that team, huge part of that Giants team, and I, 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 you know, when he got to Texas, this is what's tough, and I think it's what ended up killing him is because that was a Rangers team that even though there was some playoff teams in there, there was some success, I think a lot of his luster kind of disappeared. And part of that has to do with the fact that there were other bats around him, he wasn't as productive. He wasn't playing every day as much. He was more of like a hundred, ten, hundred and twenty games a season kind of guy. But it's body of work for me, and, and and I think it's has to do with not only what he meant for the Giants organization, but what he meant for that Rangers organization, who you know were brought up that Texas hadn't made the postseason, period, and he was a big part of the Rangers getting to the postseason and. I can't say being successful. They did win one game in three appearances, so take that, Twins. Um, but I, I don't know between between these two. Just the time that he spent in San Francisco and Texas. The whole this is whole body of work. When when we look at it's two thousand plus hits. He batted over three hundred in his career. An eight eighty OPS, even though none of us knew what that was at the time. <laughs> In, you know, I twelve hundred plus RBI, four hundred and forty doubles, two hundred eighty four home month. Like it's not numbers that are just absolutely fantastic, but it's I don't know. Will Clark, the, what he looked like, and this is probably the kid in me speaking more. Watching him play baseball, the way he played baseball, that's Hall of Fame for me. Just the way he played.
0: Oh, I agree. And he, he had that. he had that whole that old school uh, mentality that that I know I love. And I, th- I think you guys also appreciate it uh, as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys follow this guy on Twitter. Will Clark is on Twitter. If you don't, do so because he's got, he's got these videos where he's talking to I, some some, some like, guy that, he's, that interviews him or whatever. And it's all stories from when he was a player facing this guy. This situation, we had a brawl because of this. This is what we did when players started hot dogging after home runs. It's hilarious to see to hear him unfiltered. Uh, but I, th- I think the probably the, the one of the most funny things about him though is he, he replaced Rafael Palmero twice. He, he Palmero goes to Baltimore, Will, or Will Clark comes in in the '96 season, and then when Palmero goes back to Texas, he replaces him in Baltimore. <laughs> so, all kinds of I never got- I forgot he went to Baltimore.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um and yeah, no, I agree with you. I to me Will Clark Will Clark felt old school like when Will Clark was like at his peak and we were like ten. Yeah. Like yeah. I Will Clark has always been a throwback, even when he was not a throwback, if you know what I mean. And like I agree with this one. Um this is a guy who when he showed up on the ballot after he retired, I remember being really surprised. Uh, that he wasn't doing better numbers, and then I went and looked at his stats and realized that, like, I thought his numbers were a lot better than they were, and to me, that that kind of says something. Like, if you play above your stats, that's something we should take into consideration, and his stats are not bad, you know? Like, a, a lot of home runs. He was a 300-career hitter. Like, I, I agree with you, everybody. I, yeah, I, I would support that holiday case. Yes.
0: I would. Right. But what about you? We well, you got. You know what? I'm one of us has to do it. So I'm, I'll be that person um, that does the deep dive into the steroid era. I'll be that guy. Um, I'm actually going to talk about two players because I didn't know if if you guys were going to have like one of you was going to name one of them. And I was just going to name the other. So I'm going to go with two: uh, Maguire and Sosa. Yes, yes. They Somebody bo- did it. They I'm both so had to go. Now I, yes. I, I understand. Agreed. I understand Sosa was part of that weird. Not supposed to be public, but became public testing pool for steroids. I understand that. You also had a cork bat at one time. I, the, get, I get the snitch bible. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I get all that. Okay, um, I don't care. That was two thousand three when when that positive test came about. I'm talking about nineteen ninety eight. I'm talking about a, a sport that was still reeling a couple years after the strike, still reeling, and McGuire and Sosa put the game on their shoulders and brought it back. And they did so under full – you can't tell me. We've, we've had this discussion many times on the air, Samantha. Sealing a company are just as complicit in the steroid era as the players are. You're not yep. You're not going to sit here and not blame the, the you know, baseball executives and then turn around and blame the players. Uh, baseball knew what was going on. They were using steroids. They were using juice balls. They were trying to get fans back. McGuire and Sosa did that. McGuire, by the way – his big supplement problem uh, was not a banned substance at that time. Let's, Andro, let's let's completely see. legal. Let's yep. not forget that. Okay, I took Andro once because yep. I was like, "Oh, cool, McGuire's taking it." It's not you could buy it over the counter.
1: They saw it at GNC.
0: Exactly. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it was not a banned substance. So stop it. Stop it already. These two single-handedly brought baseball back from. Purgatory from strike purgatory in a magical summer that was nineteen ninety-eight. Steroids, no steroids, no one's taking that summer away from me. It's not they're not taking away from you either. Not taking away from any of us. Those two belong in the Hall of Fame. I could
1: not agree with you more. Um Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved baseball. Everybody was furious. Attendance numbers were awful after the ninety-four strike. And McGuire and Sosa brought the sport back to life. And you could kind of stop the conversation there. And that might be the only thing that mattered. Yep. Like you could even throw out all the other stuff and say, I mean, these two guys, like, I I feel like we are very lucky. And we watched a lot of baseball in our lives. And we derived a lot of joy from baseball. One of the most joyful times I remember watching baseball was watching that home run race. It was magical. It was wonderful. And guess what? Mark McGuire, as you have pointed out, Bo, this is the same argument I always make, was taking Andro. He was not taking anabolic steroids. He was not taking HGH. This was a legal substance. You can buy it at the mall. At the mall. Like, I just, absolutely horrendous judgment. I mean, he's the easiest slam dunk case to me that exists in all of baseball for people who should be in the Hall of Fame. Sosa, I know, showed up on the the, the Stitch Bible, the Mitchell Report, later, and in some of those lists and everything, but I I also think that Sosa is a guy who we treat a little bit more the way that we, that I would wish people would look at Manny Ramirez. I'm not sure that, if you are cheating to get Hall of Fame numbers, I think that is really, really different than somebody who was caught late in their career trying to hang on. Now, should you do this? No. Should you be suspended for it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Should it completely devalue your entire body of work? Absolutely not. It's the mm-hmm. same thing I feel about Manny Ramirez. I, I think they're both Hall of Famers. I agree. So the, especially, but yeah, I know I 100% completely on board. I, I wouldn't even care about any of the other stuff. They saved baseball. They really, really did, and to me, that is Hall of Fame. warning.
2: I'm with you guys, too. It's That that summer, summer 98, that was, yeah, that, that, and, and and anybody that didn't live through that, you don't get a vote here and nothing against you or anything like that. It's, you don't, it's living through that. And that's because of the argument you just made to me. that just living through that, what it did, what it bringing baseball back. It, the conversation needs to end right there. Like there, there is no more of what there was. There's more to it. There's more to their careers that happened. McGuire's was really more on the front end. Um, I know there was still some good stuff at the back end, but it was more on the front end. And so it also had a little bit more on the back end, but yes, uh, I, yeah, this is an, an easy slam dunk, and I, you know, we live in a world of the Houston cheaters, so the mere fact that those guys are still playing baseball, a lot of them, and that, and that Maguire and Sosa, no, now this isn't even a conversation, put them in.
0: Hell, if nothing else, 98 means you forget that Maguire played with Jose Canseco. <laughs>
2: That's true. He was a fan of that, too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Samantha, anything else you want to add here before we get into Irby's topics? No, no, but these are all great candidates, guys, and I I completely, agree. We touched on a few others. You know,
1: Manny Ramirez, Pettit, all those guys. There are a number of people who are, I guess I mostly want to stress to everybody, but, like, please let's not look at this as black and white steroids, no steroids. I think there are layers to this that that have to be unpacked. Um, Barry Bonds' case is very, very different from Mark McGuire's, from Sammy Sosa's, from Andy Pettit's. From Manny Ramirez, from even Alex Rodriguez. So these are all really, really different cases. So that I hope that voters will stop doing this black and white thing, where it's like put everybody in or put nobody in. Like I think you have to be a little bit smarter about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree.
1: McCoy and Sosa, one hundred percent, no doubt about it. I, my only, the only thing I would ever want to say to either of those guys is thank you. Like thank you for giving this to us. It was amazing. So, oh, what a great summer.
2: It was a good summer. <laughs> it was. It was.
0: All right, Irby. What do you have?
2: Um. Okay. So I'm gonna continue with my young hitters, and I'm. It, there's gonna be a nice little thing here early on. Um. So my first one, uh, Este Estéreo Ruiz. Yes, the young. Nope.
1: Nope.
2: <laughs> I said it wrong. Did not get Ivan Pratt? How am I? <laughs>
1: Hey, I'm estuary.
0: Just estuary almost like you're talking about a street like an estuary it's almost like that. estuary I'm, I'm just i'm just happy it was it wasn't me <laughs> for once it, for <laughs> once it was not me thank you for that irby i really appreciate <sighs> that man sorry you know my birthday's next month right it's okay <laughs> hey
2: that's what i'm that's what i'm here for all right mr louise <laughs> <go>. <laughs> <laughs> um been a nice little jolt uh, for the uh, for the Oakland Athletics. Um, we're going to keep calling them that because that's where they truly are. Uh, look, I, I love what this kid is putting together this season for, so far. Like, this is another interesting player in the um, arise kind of category of is not. I, I, I <laughs> he's not a hard hitter. Like we're if you if you're looking for hard hit balls and barrels and exit velocities and all that stuff. Do not look this way. The young man does not have a lot of pop in the bat, but he is starting to find holes. He's starting to... He's only 24, uh, not his first season in the majors, but really still kind of a rookie here, um, and we'll get into all that, uh, the, the, where he's been before. I, the, the good of what this could be is, is this is the kind of outfielder, this is the kind of player with the controllability that you can, in many cases, you can kind of build around. What happens with the A's? We don't know. I mean, this is the kind of player that a couple you know start doing this this season, maybe next season. And this is the kind of guy that they normally trade and get all kinds of A-ball players. Um, at worst, he's Billy Hamilton, so not a terrible, terrible floor um, to have. And I, and I hope that his career ends up a whole lot better. But one of my favorite things about Louise is that at the at the young age of twenty four. <laughs> um, having only played in what I, I said, 34 games before this season started, he has been traded three times as on his fourth team, And these are not trades that you haven't heard about. No, 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 no. Last December, he was part of the three team trade with Oakland, Atlanta, and Milwaukee that involved Sean Murphy. Um, so you remember all those pieces. Yeah. He came from Milwaukee, ended up in Oakland in that, uh, Just a couple months before that, as in August first, he was part of the Josh Hader Taylor Rogers trade. Uh, He was a Padre at the time and ended up going to the Brewers, and then the Brewers did all this stuff. And then all the way back in 2017, he was a Kansas City Royal, and he was involved in the trade to San Diego with Matt Strom, Travis Wood, and San Diego sent over Matt Butcher. Brandon Moyer and Trevor Cahill. So, Mister Ruiz been around the block just a little bit.
0: You know, Samantha, it almost has to be because like he's a he's a very specific type of player that's not going to fit on every roster. Uh, the A's obviously have him up because well, put your sneakers on, put some cleats on, and go to the Coliseum. They'll let you play, right? That that's but he's also making the best of his playing time. So like, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with the player, right? There's there's nothing there's nothing out there to suggest he's he's not he, he doesn't at least have the, the the same odds as everybody else at his age of being a productive major leaguer. And I'm not saying he's gonna go to he's gonna keep bouncing around. Eventually he's gonna find a home. But when you look at the A's and how bad this roster really is, even if even if. Ruiz takes off and becomes like one of those top hitters in that lineup. They would be foolish as a franchise to not trade him down the line for prospects because you're not at the, we're, we're close. Let's, let's, let's really bring up our, our, our young guys and, 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 and start making a run. They are at least three years away from that. So why wouldn't they trade him? Well, I
1: have great news for you, Bo. It's the A's. So that's exactly what's going to happen. Also true. <laughs> he <They> will absolutely <laughs> trade him for Frostburg. Um, But, you know, he's got to get that average up. Um, I think that if you are this kind of player who does not hit for power, unless you have an incredibly, incredibly high OBP, you got to hit better than this. Um, you know, he's young, um, and I think he can get that up. But, you know, he's had a rough uh, stretch of late. He's hit like 167 over the last seven games, and He's been, I, I, I guess I'm a little bit skeptical because I just need to see you on base and I need to see you making contact a lot more than this if you don't have any power. Um, so I guess, you know, it's just too little time on base and, and not enough, um, you know, and this this isn't, I, I'm not going to blame this on you, I'm not going to blame this on ace. but why are we not seeing more stolen bases? out of his kit, runs well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a problem, too. I, I would more ascribe to, to management than to the, the player himself. But uh, you know, he's got to get that average up, uh, no doubt about it. But if he can, and, and I don't think there's anything that suggests that he can't, I don't think he's Luis or I don't think he's ever going to be, but could he be Stephen Kwan? Perhaps. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if he is, then the Gays will trade him for, for prospects. I, although, I mean... If you, okay, so you get traded, you're you're in San Diego, you get traded to Milwaukee, and then, like, two months later, you get sent back to California, don't you think that that kid feels, feels like he just spent, like, two months in jail, you know, it's like, Richard Kimball, you know, sitting around, and then getting, like, the lucky <laughs> break, and breaking out of prison, and then being able to, like, have another shot at life, like, I mean, you want to live in Milwaukee forever? Like, two months, they'll really do with you, you know, like... Yeah. I mean, I know the A's aren't a great
2: place to be right now, but. I think I'm and you're moving. <laughs> the good good yeah. use of the fugitive there. I, I can just see uh, Mr. Sure Ruiz going. I just came from the West Coast and Milwaukee's ownership. I don't care. Yes. Yes. Would
0: that be ownership, or would that be ownership? Would that or, or, or would that be council? Maybe council.
2: Yeah, oh, council, right. Re- Are you a relief have- pitcher? I don't care.
1: <laughs> we, can, we can take this entire situation and recast everyone involved with both the A's and the Brewers with the cast of the news. I am getting way too weird and definitely something we're going to do on our own time. For sure how that we study. but... Oh, this is oh. the kind of stuff we get into when we're not recording. Um, <laughs>
0: it's weird. It's weird over here, guys. It's weird. Over oh here, yeah, so. God. Yeah, you really ought, you ought to see the drafts we don't put mm. on the air. That's <laughs> <Jeez>. yeah. <laughs> all right. All right, Ernie. What, what, what do you have? Uh, what, what is option number two here?
2: Option number two is something that I did get on air uh, for all you stat geeks out there. Um, so this is a. I, I be careful, um, kind of thing. If you're one of those stat nerds like I am, and I know Samantha is as well, um, be careful because this is a rabbit hole. This is a nasty little rabbit hole, and we're just gonna we're gonna give the basics here and get through it. Um, so I have the history. Um, I was a catcher growing up, playing whole, whole life, and um, I was never one of the best blocking, or um, not the best at throwing out at second. I could snap throw to first and third just fine, but one thing I was really good at was framing. I, I, just something about, you know, knowing where the ball is going, seeing the spin, catching it, and just, you know, and, and framing, when I talk about it, it's not the bringing, pulling the ball in. It's catching it and holding it for that umpire and getting those strikes. That is something that it's not talked about a ton. You'll hear it talked about when it's going well um, for a certain catcher in a game. If he's starting to get a couple of those, they, you know, frame that well but it's not something that gets talked about a ton. And the beautiful thing of the analytical world we have now is it's now we're getting into the point of catcher framing rates that are saving runs. So that's when things get real serious, when you're doing enough that is saving runs. And um, I, it was kind of fun diving in. And so I'm looking at, uh, you know, we going give you the top five best and the top five worst um, and not some shockers here. So to get in here, you had to have at least a thousand pitches caught so far this season Um our, our fifth best uh, catching rate right now is Jake Rogers out there in Detroit. Fourth is Francisco Alvarez with the Mets, so exciting about them. Third, uh, Texas' own Jonah Heim. And then the you know top two, no surprises here, number two, Sean Murphy out in Atlanta. And, Samantha, go ahead and take your mic out or take your headphones off. Austin Hedges of the Pirates is your best framing rate catcher. Right now. Flip side, who's not doing a great job? Uh, Salvador Perez, a shocker there. Had some pretty good numbers earlier in his career, but, you know, this is the, the end theme for him and everything. Connor Wong with the Red Sox. Martin Maldonado with the Astros. Actually, the native six runs in his frame rate. Uh, Shea Langeliers with the A's. And then Peter Ruiz. Of the Washington Nationals at a negative nine catch framing runs allowed. So, curious what you guys think. I don't want to dive too much into because we could sit here and go through all the zones, um, and and who's the best and worst of that. But I we I mean, we could be here way too long and we'd lose everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a, this is a stat that I honestly really didn't know we had yet. Uh, I'm glad we do because this is one of my favorite things about catchers, is the ability to frame the pitch. And it, I don't know, Samantha, are, are you surprised by the list, both, both the top and the bottom? Only thing that surprises me about this list is
1: that Mike Zanino is not at the bottom, like dead at the bottom. So that, that is the only thing about that that surprises me. Otherwise, I think it's. It makes a lot of sense. Um, there are there are a few names that I may have expected to be in the top or bottom five that aren't there, but for the most part I do think it makes sense. I have three points to make about this. I'll try to be brief, um, certainly the first two, because I want to spend all my time on the third. Uh, The first point that I have to make about this is that Irby is absolutely right. This is a very, very dangerous scat hole to go down. I know because I've been there, so please don't do this unless you have like 12 hours um, that you can spend in it, because it's a very fascinating place to be, but also like your house might burn down around you. So, um, or you might forget to go to work, so please be careful with that, number one. Number two, this is one of the greatest arguments against robot umps. Um, It will completely devalue the framing skill for catchers. So that's another thing that needs to be taken into consideration here uh, because it will change the way balls and strikes are called in a way that will really make it harder for framers to do what they do best. And number three, I'm going to die on a hill that I have died on many times already and will probably die on many more. Austin Hedges. What did the, the no, I'm gonna swear I, I won't do it. Um <laughs> I what what were you thinking, Guardians? Letting him go. Like I, I screamed about it on this show, I scream about it all the time on Twitter, I scream about it if to people on the street if they will listen to me. Um Austin Hedges is an incredibly, incredibly gifted defensive catcher in a number of ways. Some of which don't show up in the numbers, except that guess what? Now they do, because now we have a stat for this. So, I am enraged um, that the Guardians chose not to retain Austin Hedges' services, especially considering that instead of calling up O'Neiler. They, you know, the two bozos we have out there now, like they've got to be down towards the bottom list. I suspect actually that the reason they're not at the bottom is because I don't think Zunino's actually caught a thousand balls. So I don't think that, uh, or be correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think he would probably not be eligible for this, uh, because we have seen the revolving door catcher. They're all awful anyway. Austin Hedges, and a number one Austin Hedges fan, and this is a huge,
2: huge part of why. Well, I, so I'll give you that one. Um, Zanino, this is weird, and so I, I won't go long. He's actually at plus one. Plus one on the runs. And it's only because of zone 14. So zone 14 is that inside area on a left-handed batter. Everywhere else, he's below average or average. I but would for whatever reason, that left, left-handed batter, that inside, not high or low, he is actually... Really good. In fact, that's Austin Hedges' worst spot. Um, he's above average in everything else except for zone 14. So, yeah, Mike Zanino, Austin Hedges, though they're both pluses, they are the exact opposite in where they frame.
1: <laughs> okay, but here's where it gets weird, right? Here's where you get stuck in this bat hole and never come out because then the next logical item to research there is I wonder how many left handed batters. <laughs> came to the plate while he was catching with a pitcher who wanted to throw them inside because like when he's great in zone 14 is because it's happened like three times.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that I don't have. That's a possibility. It's definitely, definitely a real possibility.
0: How you get into the hole and don't come out? <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. what else do you have for us?
2: Well, the, the last bit I want to do, and this is this is more of a pride thing um, that just came about yesterday, but it was the uh, the reverse boycott that that happened out in Oakland yesterday, and how wonderful of a thing that was. The 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 you know proof is in the pudding of what's really going on there, and you see, it's not the fans, and um, it has nothing to do with it. This is this is all about money, 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 money. This has nothing to do with the fan base, and I know we've said that a lot of people have said that over and over again. It was great yesterday to see that um, in view. I know that you know as we're recording here, the, the it did not go well for the Oakland's future um, with the uh, Senate mm-hmm. uh, voting in favor in Nevada earlier today, so it seems like that is all but a done deal, but whatever, screw that, forget about it. She's so proud of that Oakland fan base yesterday and, and seeing what they did, the the. You know the drums, the the unison of the chants, the before game, after game, keeping it clean. I mean, all those things, just great job, great job, Oakland, and and, and also nice to see the team doing the job too, picking them up. Uh, here we go. Keep keep beating first place teams there, Oakland. Well done.
0: That was that seven straight. a seventh straight win, right?
2: Seven straight wins. Yeah, yeah. They're they're one third of the way to their record. I'm not against that.
0: You know, I mean, that This is the, the 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 more news we get out about this, and the more times we have something like we had last night, which was you know this was the first boycott. It just it just makes you makes makes me question so many things. Like, what is it about Oakland? Because what you saw last night was was the Oakland fan base, and I'm not even just talking about the A's. I'm talking about the Raiders too. They, they, the Raiders bolted for Oakland. Or excuse me for uh, Vegas. Now the A's are bolting for Vegas. They want to be close enough for their fans can travel. I guess I don't. I, I can't. I don't understand you, when you got a fan base. There are there are organizations in sports. I'm not just talking about baseball. Baseball, football. There were there were organizations that would kill to have that type of fan support. To have that type of loyalty. And this particular fan base just keeps getting shit on. And I don't understand that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm completely with you on that. I actually kind of want to talk about this in a way that's a little bit different. Um, because there's there's something kind of wonderful about this. And I, I kind of want to celebrate this. Because most of the the news here has been bad. And I just kind of want to give credit where credit's due. And I, I want to talk about something here where I think we saw something really, really incredible yesterday that was about not just the A's fans showing up and doing what they did and all the credit in the world to them. That was so well organized. It was so well done. You know, usually when somebody says they're going to do something like this, it's like 100 people show up, you know, and, and they're they're allowed for about an inning. And, you know, there's like a guy with a sign and a guy with a drum and that's it. No, this was a full-blown party. They gave out 7,000 shirts that said sell in the parking lot. They had cookouts, they had bands, and they got 28,000 people into a ballpark where, by rights, nobody should want to go because of what is being done to them. But I loved that, and I was part of the group that that tried to work on kind of raising awareness across baseball, um, amongst other baseball fans and and people who are sort of part of the media industry in sports, uh, who were seeking to kind of create more awareness outside of Oakland for this, uh, because I think that the, the best way to kind of get through to major league baseball and something like this, you know, even if it's a, an effort that's made in vain, I, I think it's important for us all to show that as a baseball community, we're not okay with this, and that we're going to make a lot of noise about it. And we talked a lot, and we asked mm-hmm. people, like, please watch the feed, um, and you should watch, by the way, watch the Rays feed, not the A's feed, because they are going to suppress Uh, what they show Mm -hmm. and try to control the noise in the race. He did not do that, but he said, you know, if everybody turns this on, one thing MLB does pay attention to is its profit centers and one of its profit centers – is people using MLB TV. And if there is a huge spike, not just in that market, but all across baseball, of people watching that game. And we had so many wonderful instances. I mean, there were people at the Mariners game holding up signs because they were saying, hey, if you're going to take the camera off in Oakland, we're going to hold them up here. I had Twins fans contacting me. Twins fans, like those people hate me, and I hate them, saying, (laughs) hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to Target Field, but I'm going to turn the game on on my phone while I'm there. It's everybody doing... A little bit to support the cross it's probably not gonna work I'll be honest I don't think you know it sounds bad what happened today was bad it looks like a done deal but I think that major league baseball probably is a little bit more worried about this than they were before this happened and it's because the Oakland fans did such a wonderful job and baseball fans all over the country did a great job of supporting them, And I just thought it was the most wonderful thing. I cried several times watching this mm-hmm. in a good way. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud of you guys, like all of you, baseball fans. Irby, you know, you guys mentioned the, that you guys had done the thing where you can buy a ticket and, and donate it from afar. You know, everybody just kind of doing whatever they can from wherever they are to say, hey, baseball, we stand with Ace fans. I thought it was awesome.
0: You know, and you make a great point here because the one thing about it, not being done yet. Baseball owners owners have not approved the move yet. Correct. They have, exactly. They have yep. they have not said okay to that relocation. Yes, so, so while well, look, it, it is a it is a very small minuscule sliver of hope here. But it's still there. And, and until until the owners actually vote to move that team, they're still in Oakland. That's right. So That's you know, right. so I would I would suggest that baseball as a whole fans as a whole everywhere let's let's keep the pressure up. Don't That's
2: right. don't keep make it just noise. one night.
0: Don't make, make it, it just comfortable for that. Mm-hmm. I mean this I mean this is just it's it, it the more the, the, the I mean we we could talk about the, the the city of Oakland not stepping up and building a ballpark all we want to. We could talk about how cheap the owners, the ownership is in Oakland. We could talk about that till we're blue in the face. Uh, you actually had—I I think this might be a little something that—that that's, it, I, I guess, shows like, the, like like some promise for the future. You had Steinbrenner. How Steinbrenner come out and talk about teams not putting money into their teams, talking specifically about the A's and how upset they are. Maybe maybe we're finally getting somewhere where those that do put the money into their teams like they're supposed to, are going to finally start holding some of these other owners accountable. I don't know how they can. A, not, a, a minimum salary would do uh, go a long way to doing that, baseball. But don't make it just one night. Got to keep the pressure up. Got to keep it on until until those owners vote, yeah. Keep that pressure up.
2: Irby, anything else you want to add here? I right, no, it's great, great stuff from you guys. It's awesome, and buddy, you said it well there. Keep the pressure up because that's that's I think part of the battle. And and say we, but but Oakland, we we as baseball fans, we as baseball purists, all up against us, that the hope is is that well, yeah, this is just one game and it'll all disappear and people forget about it. No, if that doesn't happen, things can change, and so. I am with you guys. The, the, the vote today and everything, it's not looking great, but it's not a done deal, though. You said it well. It's not a done deal, and that's the beautiful thing about baseball is you can't kneel and run out the clock. You can't dribble out a shot clock. you got to get all 27 outs, and right now the A's may have a lot of outs against them, but they don't have all 27 yet.
0: You know, I've uh, I personally, obviously, never had a team move. Um, we're, Irby, we're both, I think, very lucky in that area. Uh, we haven't had a team move. But if you think it can't happen to you, you got another thing coming. So all of you fan bases out there that think, well, this is the A's and they've had these problems for 30 years and this and that and thinking you can't happen to you, it can happen to you and it can happen to you very quickly. So keep that in mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's somebody who has had that happen to them. Um, it's, which is part of why I feel so strongly about this and have involved myself in this so much, because it did happen to me and mm-hmm. it sucked. Yep. Um, exactly. And, you know, it was, I, maybe I'm lucky because it was the Browns and not the Indians. That's probably something I would never have recovered from. Um, but it's, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, um, except maybe Astros fans. Um, but other than that, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish, I wouldn't wish that on Twins fans. Absolutely not. Never. It is a horrible, horrible thing to have happen. And guess what, you guys? It's never the fans' fault at the end of the day. Ever. No. What happens every single time is ownership runs off the fans by attacking them, by tearing the team down, destroying it. People stop showing up. And then the fans say, see, they didn't show up. I have to move this team. Don't be fooled. Don't get tricked into defending the billionaires again. The Oakland fans are not an. anyway way responsible for any of this. The city of Oakland bears some responsibility, but the bulk of it lies with the owner. And yeah. every time you buy into that whole people aren't showing up at the ballpark thing, all you're doing is letting these guys cheap out and destroy things, because that's what this is. You are destroying a baseball market and taking away something that means so much to a group of people. And I know it's hard to imagine if it's never happened to you, but Take a minute and think about what it would be like if it happened to you. And I don't care if you live in Vegas and you love baseball. Wait for the expansion team. That's what the Browns did. Cleveland was offered a team that would move, and they said no because they didn't want to do to somebody else what Baltimore did to them. Wait for the expansion team. It'll come anyway. Do not reward this kind of behavior. Yeah. don't want a team that was kidnapped in the night from somebody else who loved them very much.
0: Yeah, and I, I think all of us would agree that we'd rather have a team in Montreal than in not.
1: So. That's also true. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing. Yeah, <laughs> the Vegas market is not going to work. This is not going to work the way that it does with the Raiders, guys. I hate to
0: tell you that, but you know. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. Circle gets the square. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of messes, <laughs> I think it's I think it's time uh, that, that we just had a quick. A quick conversation about the Mets, because right now, it's a mess in Queens. Uh, And, you know, (laughs) Samantha, part of me wants to get into, well, you know, it's the Mets. Of course, this is the Mets, and this is what the Mets do. This feels really bad, even for them. Even for them, this feels bad. I, I guess, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're putting your entire season on the arms of two pitchers that are, uh, let's just say, on the other side of their prime uh, in, 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 in Verlander and um, Mad Max in Scherzer, I guess in a way you would think, okay, well, you're kind of asking for it. But no, uh, I'm not going there with this. This just feels really bad. There, there, there's, the, the New York media is asking Cohen if he wants to blow up the team. That's new. Haven't had that the last couple of years. I mean, where can they go from here? Is this fixable? Is this salvageable? Because I don't think think there's a trade deadline agenda they could have that's going to suddenly turn this thing around. It has to be turned around by the players that are on the roster right now.
1: Okay, yeah, that is exactly the same feeling that I have about this. How on earth are you going to fix this? Like, this is a disaster. I mean, well, actually, let's answer the really pressing question first, um, for, for those of you who have been around for a while. Are we back to Mets of the West, to the Padres? We flipped it because the Mets looked better, and it was Padres in the East. Are we, are we going back to Mets of the West? I feel like we should. I think we should, the Padres yeah. have dug out of the hole a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Mets, Mets are now the prime offenders again. Um, But Mets fans, I hate this for you. I feel bad for you. I, I actually feel bad for Steve Cohen. Um, because I, I think he's doing what we want owners to do, which is saying, I'll spend whatever it takes. Yeah. I love this mm-hmm. team and I don't care if it's a business and so you know, he's the anti-Oakland, right? Like I'll spend whatever I need to. I want to win World Series. Good for him. I like Steve Cohen. The problem wasn't the process here, right? The process was good. The process said we've raised a handful of players up through our system or signed younger players to long-term contracts, and now we're going to Fill that roster out with expensive older players. That that process is fine. The flaw was in the execution. They did not pick the right players to do this with. And there's not really any help coming. Because what on earth are you going to do at the deadline about this? How are you going to fix this? You don't really have a lot to move out of your minor league system. You don't really have guys who you can say, oh, we'll fix this or we'll trade this. I mean, what... Are you going to send Francisco Lindor back to Cleveland for pitching class for <laughs> Are you going to try it? Like, um, I, I'm kidding, obviously, but, th- but this is the root of the problem, right? Like, there, There's not really a good fix for this because it was an execution error, not a process error. <laughs> so, I, they had the right idea, but this is what happens when you put Billy Epler in charge of something. So if we want to be mad at Steve Cohen for something, it's probably you thought that you would hire the guy who was running Angels, the guy who had plenty of money to work with and couldn't build a team around Mike Trot, Sohei Itani, to come and build them. What? No. <laughs> Bad. <laughs> Bad. So, So <laughs> there is a the, the great um,
0: error made by Steve Cohen. Oh,
1: yep.
0: Man, oh, yes. you know... Oh. I really put bad for Buck Showalter. Yeah, yeah. me too. You know, because I mean, that that was the running joke for so long with Buck Showalter. Right? Is okay. All you got to do is, is hire him. He'll coach for a few years. He'll leave, and then the next year after he leaves, you're going to win the World Series because it happened two consecutive times. Right? It happened with the Yankees. Happened with the Diamondbacks. So that was the running. And then, joke.
1: The, and then the Orioles tried
0: it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, the Orioles tried; it, it didn't work out for them. Uh, that that easily could have been because he made a bonehead error in the playoffs. But that's neither here. Nor well, not. yeah, Buck was the architect of his own uh, demise. That side, right? Leadership. You know, but but still, like, like Irby, it's it's like like this. This is one of those good guys out there that you really want to, to see win a world championship. You know, and he finally had the team and the owner and everything in place, and it's completely blown up in his face. I just feel sorry for the guy.
2: Uh, yeah, not an ideal situation to be in. Um, great start to the season, but yeah, things have things have fallen apart, fallen apart quickly for the Mets, and yeah, you're in fourth place now, and uh, it, it's. <laughs> I oh, uh, uh, real quick on the uh, Mets of the West, Padres of the East, stuff like that. Um, I I checked the rule book real quick. It is currently um, Mets of the West. Um, you, we, we refer to it as the Mets now because Gary Sanchez is having success with the Padres and did not with the Mets this season. So that is the tiebreaker. And so, yes, we have flipped it back to it is now Mets of the West and just the Mets. So you Outstanding. Go. Outstanding. I love that Gary Sanchez is the tiebreaker.
1: That's brilliant. All right.
2: It's, yeah. <laughs> probably. Great great work.
1: Great
2: <laughs> one, work. one more piece work. that maybe you should have kept and everything. But no, no. Oh, Princess crack Alvarez crack is great. There. We're
1: going to call
2: yeah. it the crap in fact. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, I know they're going with Daniel Vogelbach, who now Gary has three times as many home runs. Not important, but yeah, I with you guys, I you know you look up and down this minor league system, and there is nothing close coming to the rescue. There are pieces there that you're like, me, no, me, no, like like you have you have some solid middle infielders, but that's not your problem. <laughs> it's the middle infield, so. <laughs> Um, I yeah, this is this is in house. I I'm with you guys as well. This is in house and how you fix this. And I, I, you know, I golly, I mean, you're you are sitting, you know, as we sit here today, this evening, you know, over ten games behind the Braves. Forget division, and things like that. Um, fortunately, we have what we have in the NL Central. So the so the postseason is, you know, the wild card is not a terrible thing to go after. But you are as close. To, to second place in your own division is you're the Nationals. That's not a good thing. That is not a good thing this season. That's been fine in the past, but right now that is not good at all. So, uh, yeah, this is an in-house fix. There's not much more you can do. It's also a reason why, and I know, well, I, 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 this is one you and me have definitely you know, squared off a little bit. Um, I, I am a, a more conservative go-all-in. Uh, When when spending money and getting talent, just Uh because I always love the flexibility of, okay, wait, let's see what we have, and then we can spend more. But when you go spend it all right away, okay, what are you going to go get now? So I don't know how this gets fixed, aside from an in-house, or I guess that's how we know. We know how this gets fixed. I just don't see it happening this season.
0: I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall when, when all these Rangers contracts came in the last couple of off-seasons because I can only imagine your response. No, 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 too much. It's, it's, no. I'm, I'm sitting over here having a party. I, <laughs> Irby's like, no. I'm with Bo on this one,
1: actually, probably because I've never had a team that did this, so I'm with Bo. I'm like, yes, ever everything. I want to know what that's like. <laughs> Hold on. I want to know what it's like to roll – in payroll. Like, <laughs> they, they just buy everything.
2: In my defense, I was totally on board with Gray, Seeger, and Simeon. I was just the one that was going, This is awesome, Stop right now. No more Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You but, to stop.
1: Guy,
2: he's, he loves Marcus Simeon now too. He's just totally on board. Oh yes, yes. I I you know what's crazy? I, I Luke, my youngest, is doing it too now. He's, he's, he still likes Corey Seger, but he's loving himself to Marcus Simeon, um, who is in a heck of a slope right now, but we can get to that later. On. But, yeah, I yeah, no, I'm definitely the one that, uh, yeah, I, I'm always like, okay, spin, but hey, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I'm not a drunken sailor when it comes to adding talent. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, uh, so the other side of this coin, uh, the Reds, Let's talk about them next, because while they're not, you know, spending a lot of money, um, they are going in the opposite direction of the Mets. The The Reds uh, currently at 33 and 35, so they've got about a two-game lead on the New York Mets right now, if they were in the same division. <laughs> but hey, they're two and a half out. They're two and a half behind Pittsburgh, who's being very stubborn. And hanging around. Milwaukee's a game NFL. So, Samantha, so they're in third place. Uh, Ellie De La Cruz really has lit a little jolt into that organization. Uh, what are you making here of the Reds? Is this one of those cute stories that's going to go away after the All-Star break? Or or are, are they possibly in a position to maybe add next month to the trade deadline? Not, not that the ownership group would do that.
1: Well, let's start with the fact that it's objectively hilarious that the Reds are better than the Mets. And then let's also pause to consider the hilarity that as absurd as it is that the Mets are this bad and the Reds are this good. I think we all would have looked at this. If somebody had said hypothetically before the season starts, like, well, on June 14th, the, the Reds will be better than the Mets. I don't think any of us would have been like, that's impossible because, you know, it's the Mets. So, um, you know, the the just hilariousness of that, that is outstanding. Um yeah, I mostly think this is just like cute. Um yeah, it's it's a cute little run. Um I think they're gonna fall off. I don't think there's any chance their ownership is gonna sink any money into this. This was an accident. This was another team that was actively trying not to spend. Um and the players kind of outplayed their I mean like look at like Will Benson, like all just all these guys who you're like really that guy, really that guy, really that guy. And then you put that together um, with, with the call-ups and go, oh, actually, this is a, kind of a fun young team. So I don't think they're going anywhere this year. I don't think they're going to be in the wild card race. I don't think they're going to be in the conversation in September. I don't think they're going to add to the deadline. What I do think is that this is a very, very good sign that this team has headed in the right direction, that they're going to get better a lot faster than anybody expected. And guess what? It's a weak division, guys. And it's a lot easier to claw your way back to the top of a division like that than it is if you're in one of the more competitive ones. So while I don't really believe in the 2023 Reds, I'm real interested to see what the 2024 Reds look like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So am I. as long as ownership doesn't screw this up, yeah, there's that. There's that. Uh, Irby, how about you? By the way, I was a little off with my standings math. It's a game and a half lead for the Reds over the Mets, not two. Uh, I was, I just, I, I miscounted my still loss. a lead. It's still a
2: lead. Still a lead. You know who the Reds are also ahead of? They're also ahead of the Mets of the West. Also, right now, here we sit tonight. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, yes, I. So Samantha hit it exactly where I want to go with it's. It's this is a fun 2023. Reds team, and I'm very curious to see where the 2024 Reds are. Um, they've got some interesting decisions coming up. Um, you know, with with, with Mr. Uh, I, I keep going to say it, Holy Day la Cruz and everything that he's doing. It's great, and if it continues, you know, finding a place here, this is a good problem, Reds fans. It's a good problem. Where are you going to place everyone? You know, Jonathan India at second um, is doing just fine. Matt McLean, there's another rookie not getting enough talk about. Spencer Steer at first base. I mean, these these are this is how you build right here. You know, there there is some age and there's some stuff that needs to maybe cycle out. But you know, so, you know we we mentioned David Cruz and Vincent, and there's two others: McLean and Steer. Matt McLean was I, I, a wonderful draft pick, great sure stuff out of UCLA, uh, and here we are again. He's doing exactly what we expected him to do. Uh, Twenty, it's you know early in his career, stuff like that. But Spencer Steer's been there a while, and and leads the or he doesn't lead the team. He's second in the team in, in, in RBIs. But I yeah, this is a this is a Reds team of this is great, this is awesome. Let's see what this continues to build. And I agree that I don't see a lot happening at the deadline. Um, even though the division is always in play. Um, this is this is a little different central um, because all five teams are technically still in play <laughs> since the Cardinals are only nine out. Um, The Brewers have given up, I guess, for a week. Um, We'll just come back next week and win a bunch. Pirates don't know. I mean, the the, the Enigma of all this division is fantastic. And it sets up a Reds team that, hey, just keep doing this and keep running into wins, and things are going to happen.
0: Samantha, anything you want to add there? Thank you for bringing
1: up Spencer Steer. Big Spencer Steer fan. kind of excited about that.
0: Okay, all right, one more thing before we get into Armchair Umpire. We, we saw this, I mean, this is a little, it happened a, a while ago, but it's still worth talking about in this context because, you know, judges injury at Dodger Stadium, it's 2023. Why do we still have weird shit in the field of play? I mean, I'm asking, there are some stadiums that have such bogus... Off-the-wall like ground rules because of the – like. just look at the catacombs in Tampa. I mean, come on. All this stuff – why – Samantha, just help me explain – help me understand this because in, in, in baseball's early years, fine. You know, you had foul poles at center field, but center field was also 450 yard, uh, feet away, right? They, they just put <laughs> baseball fields where they could fit them in urban areas. So, of course, you had weird dimensions and weird things on the field. But that was, you know, 100 years ago. Why do we still have this problem? Why why, why are baseball players still having to deal with random things impeding their ability to catch a baseball? I, yeah, I look.
1: I am very much against the homogenization of baseball fields, and I like that parks are weirdly shaped and that the dimensions are all different and the walls are all different heights. I love that. I do not want to see like the sanitized every park is the same thing. I absolutely don't want to see that. That said, like Towels Hill, for example, hung around for way too long in modern baseball. Like, it's, I mean, we love seeing these old parks like Irby City one of the other day. They had a pagoda in the middle of the field, which is awesome and i would love to see that but like union grounds union grounds thank you but in like a modern major league stadium like not only should we not have obstacles like what kills me about this is this isn't even about like here's some weird shit we threw in the middle of our field let's see what happens like i can appreciate from a novelty aspect that kind of stuff what i can't understand is why dodger stadium dodger stadium like they got plenty of money Um, It's not the Coliseum. It's not like Aaron Judge tripped over a feral cat in Oakland and hurt his foot. Like, in Dodger Stadium, they did not bother to reinforce that side of the bullpen gate. And there's, like, pieces of metal sticking out into the field of play. Like, who is in charge of this? Like, I don't know. Whoever the facilities manager is at Dodger Stadium who did not catch this. Like, you're lucky it wasn't one of your own players. And, like pieces of like metal. It's like when you're a kid and you're playing on a rusty playground and you're like, I'm going to need a tennis shot after this. Like, this is a major league ballpark. Come on. man. We're,
0: we're, we're going to get a real warning track in Dodger Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Dodger Stadium where the warning track is real. It means business. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Herbie, how about you? Any thoughts here?
2: I, yes, I am all for the, the weird dimensions and stuff, but let's keep it safe. You know, let, let's keep it normal. We don't, you know, we, we only have one with the ivy in it, so nobody else does that anymore. We don't need to be doing that anymore. The pagodas, hey, they'd be awesome seats. I'd love to be right in the middle of the field, and I'm worried that people are going to see them and be like, oh. Maybe we could build a little bubble in the ground, and people could be like sitting underneath third base and watch the game. No, no. As much as I would love to do that, no. Um, so, yes, we're we a are modern era of baseball. Please stop and stop doing these things and adding these weird things. Um, the last one I do, um, thank you for bringing up the Union Grounds, uh, Samantha, that we laughed about. There was another one her and I laughed about, um, old uh, Clark Field, uh, the University of Texas down in Austin, one of their, um, their second field that they ever played in. Uh, the outfield wall was a limestone wall. Yes, that's right. The, the fence, the homegrown fence was actually elevated. There was a cliff, a limestone cliff that was in the field of play. Um, and occasionally there would be goats roaming around on the limestone. So, I know if we're going to get crazy, let's get that crazy. Yeah, the idea of a player running full speed into a limestone wall. Ouch.
1: Or into a goat. because apparently Or a
2: goat. goat also fun.
1: On it. it had goat paths. So you're like... I mean, there's so many possibilities here. Like, does the goat, again, here's the weird things that we talk about when we're not on the air. Like, what if the ball goes into the goat pass? Does the goat eat the ball? Is it a home run if the goat eats the ball? If the goat eats a third of a ball, is it a ground rule double? Like, what if the goat comes onto the field? Like, so many amazing things to be happy to like, this kind of stuff I am in favor of. Like, let's bring back, like, you have to run into that cave. Um, uh, Steve Ghosh moment there, afraid of caves. Um, I don't know if you guys saw that. Please watch it. Um, if you didn't, men man is afraid of nothing, but he said he was afraid of caves. What if there was a cave, man, and you had to go get that ball out of a cave? How cool would that be? What if you came back with a bat hanging off of you? Oh, man. This I would be... I, this sort of, like, weird things happening on the baseball field, I would be in favor of. Like, if Aaron Judge runs into a cave in right field and comes back with a vampire bat fighting him, I would feel like, I'm entertained. (laughs) This is cool. I'm okay with this. Running your toe into a metal gate, like, that that does not entertain me. That just makes me feel bad for your own judge and question who is in charge of Dodger's team facilities management.
0: Can can we take that mitt that's in the stands in in San Francisco? Can we we put that in the field of play? That could be fun.
1: I hate that thing,
0: but if you put it in the middle of the field, I would probably oh, stop on. hating it. So, yeah. How do you um, hate the oversized mitt in left field? That's, come I on. That's a like, classic. It's awesome. Di- I don't know.
1: It just reminds me too much of the stupid apple in, in New York. Like, oh. I, these goofy, like, giant fiberglass things are not my favorite. However, if you stuck it in the field, I would get interested. <laughs> that I would be a favor of. I mean, it doesn't do. Hey, you
2: guys are – y- y'all are too nice. I want a moat. A uh, f- – I want the warning track to be a moat. Oh, man, that would be the
1: coolest. A moat.
0: Oh, no. Awesome. God. we just have to, have to make sure our outfielders can swim.
2: No, 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 no. The moat can be, like, four, only four feet deep. That's fine. That's fine. We don't have to get too crazy. No. But I just want a moat. Just because of the one time. Like, dive, jump up in the air, catch the ball off the wall, Splash. Ball yeah, just you just sticks his hand up with the ball. Yes, please.
0: Just just don't put one in Tampa because it'll be dirty water and filled with rays that are hating their life. Don't do that. Well, yeah, you
2: can't you can't you can't release animals in there. That would be that would no, be. Tampa little, would
0: find
2: a so, way. There <laughs> are live sharks in our moat. No, 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 no. Too far. Too far.
0: Sharks with lasers on them. Yes. All right. Yes. We'll
1: awesome powers <laughs> there for you.
0: Oh boy! All
1: right, <laughs> laser uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we've reached uh, we've, we've reached armchair umpire here. So, time for another round of Irby making Smith and I do all kinds of brain flips. Uh, so, let's not hesitate, Irby. What you got for us tonight?
2: All right, well, you a know, great segment just coming off there of the weird stuff. And, and baseball is funny. We saw some weird bounces earlier this week as well. Um, so here's one where, you know, the umpire has to get involved as well in weird bounces and, as you say, about weird shit all over the place. So, um, yeah, this has to do with the catcher and the, 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 the identity of who a catcher is once, a, a ball is put in play. So let's say that uh, the, the Dodgers and the Reds are tied up at one in this, this hypothetical situation. Uh, Reds come up to bat in the top of the fourth, uh, playing in L.A. So let's just keep it in L.A. because there's already weird stuff going on there. Um, And with one out away, Ed Bailey laces a double along the left field line. Uh, He goes to third as Orlando Pena grounds out. So now we've got a runner at third and two outs. And Willie McMillan, while batting, left-handed batter, doesn't get great contact on it. Just kind of lifts a little deep ball. So you're only about five, six feet away uh, down the third baseline, and the, the, the catcher, Joe Ward, uh, lunges out for the ball um, as it's twisting towards the line and misses the catch. Uh, you know, with two outs on contact, our, our runner is coming down the line. Bailey is coming down the line, and the ball takes a kind of a freak hop as the catcher misses it. Catcher doesn't touch this, by the way. And the ball bounces and starts heading towards foul ground, but before in foul ground, while in fair territory, it does bump into the back foot of Bailey, who is scurrying home to score on the play. Um, so this squarely puts it up to the umpire to make some kind of decision. And I, I, I you know, there's, I can give you guys some more hints or anything, but I really want to see where you guys take it from here. Of is this a simple? Out? Is this a live ball? How 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 are we playing this?
0: Okay. I, I mean Samantha it's it should be the runners out. That's the easy answer. It's the obvious answer because the ball was still in fair territory. It wasn't touched by a fielder and it hit the bat hit the runner. But this is Irby we're talking about here, and it's never that easy. Can you think of some weird, obscure rule that makes it not what I think it is?
1: Um, well, okay. First of all, let's let's confirm. The catcher did not touch the ball. Is that correct?
2: The catcher does not touch the ball. He, 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 he dives sore to try and catch it in the air, um, but does, is unsuccessful. And the ball hits the ground without the catcher touching it.
1: Okay. So the ball hits the runner, and the runner is in, while it is in fair territory...
2: Yes, ball hits the ground and takes kind of a weird skirt heading, oh. heading away, and it hits the runner as he's scurrying down me? the line. Yes.
1: It hit the ground before the runner, so the runner is not out because the runner is only out if the ball hits him on the fly.
2: Oh. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I always thought that was no, no matter what, if, it, if, it, if it, even if it was a grounder, hit the runner out. I don't think that's
1: the case. Although I would not,
0: Fair, I'm fairly certain that's the case. A batted ball hitting the runner in the infield. Even 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 if it's a if, even if it's a ground ball and it bounces a couple times, if it hits the runner, the runner's out.
2: So let me give you guys a little more of what you're hinting at there, Beau. Um, okay. the, the rule that you're, you're that you're referring to um, is section 7.08F <laughs> of the playing rules.
0: I love baseball rules.
2: <laughs> yes, which states that a base runner is out when hit by a batted ball only if the ball strikes him before it is touched or passed an infield. Right. Oh,
0: pass. Okay, so. Oh. Well, damn it. That's interesting because it technically it passed the catcher. But it always passes the catcher. Yeah. Now I'm confused. <laughs> but hang on. Hang on. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When the catcher made a play on the ball, he actually became like a f- is it really? Is it really what that is? Like because the catcher makes a play on the ball, now it's past him. But if the catcher doesn't make a play on the ball, then it, it's different. Are we really going down that rabbit hole? With this rule. Yeah,
1: see, that's what I feel like. That's where we have to go, which I don't like because it feels kind of subjective. Yeah, because like, what is the point where you can officially say someone made a play on the ball? Like, if the catcher doesn't know where he is and, it, and he falls on it, is that considered making? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he didn't right. get it and he didn't touch it. It bothers me that he didn't touch it. So, okay, so if you're saying that a live a live ball in fair play that hits a runner, normally the batter would be out, but it would have to pass an infielder. So, it hasn't passed anybody but the catcher. But the catcher becomes an infielder when he enters the field of
0: play. Right.
1: But, like, are we considering this past the catcher? I guess we are because he came into the field. Right, he right? came into the because field of play. He came into fair territory.
0: I think that's it.
1: <laughs> as ridiculous as this Yeah, sounds, I know, I think so. I think you're right. As ridiculous <laughs> right. as this um,
0: sounds, the catcher making the play on the ball negates... The ball, the live ball, hitting the runner and making the runner out, so the runner is now safe at home. I think you're right. I, this is absurd, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> I'm good with that answer, Samantha. Are you good with this answer? Yeah, no, I
1: think you're right. I, I think the way you reason this out, unless there's something weird that we don't know about a catcher, not being subjected to the same rules as everybody else, but like we're not going to know that, man. We got to go with what we do know, and I think your argument's good. I think that's good logic. So let's just
0: let roll with it. In. Oh, how, how many of these? How many of these umpire conferences? <laughs> are like, you know, that's, that's a really good argument. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Irby, that's what we're going with. Uh, the runner is safe because the catcher made himself into an infielder with a play on the ball, and it went past him.
2: All right, I, I love that. The I, I can just see the umpires. Hey, we're gonna go with what we know, so let's go with demonstrate. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So this was a big one. This is a fun one because you guys are on your second three game uh, winning streak of the season, and unfortunately, it ends at three games. Ah, boo. Oh. <laughs> the, the the runner heading home is much is the spirit and everything. And I a hundred percent agree with y'all's logic and everything. We'll get into that in a second. Um, As a major league umpire, uh, the rules state here in this situation that the runner is out. Um, It is a great debate. It is a great conversation. Um, And Bo, you said it perfectly in there by making a play on that ball. The catcher has put himself into a situation where is he now considered a infielder. Is he now considered someone that's part of the field? And, Samantha, you hit on it perfectly with the weird ruling, and, and, the, and it's not as much a ruling, it's a part of that rule 7.08F in that a catcher is not. He is not considered an infielder. He is not considered part of that until the ball has passed said infielders. Then the rule changes into who the catcher is um, once the ball has put in play, once the infield has had or the infield out the river. Once the players in the field of play, the players who start the field out in air territory, once they've had an opportunity to make a play, then the catcher changes. But as weird as this is, um, as difficult as it would be to explain, because once again, you know uh, know, the the Reds' uh, um, manager here is definitely getting ejected. Dave Bell, if this was happening today, Dave Bell would absolutely be ejected for this, going, the catcher made a play on the ball. But because he misses it, doesn't touch it, this is considered runner interference for the guy coming home.
0: Wow. Man, we, we went from safe at home to runner's interference. Not even just out, but interference. Wow.
1: So, okay, so if the third baseman, <laughs> if the third baseman was coming in, like let's say he was expecting a fly or something. So if the third baseman came down the line and the ball passed him and then the catcher still made a play on the ball, then the run is safe at home. Because it passed the third baseman? That Correct. Right? Correct. That is goofy, man. That is goofy, <laughs> goofy stuff. Wow. Welcome to baseball. We, we learn We learn something every day, right? I, you know, we're we humbled by this game, um, but it's also super cool to learn something new. So, sometimes we learn something and we guess right, <laughs> sometimes we learn
0: something and we catch on. So, oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, indeed. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, you know, at least when we lose Samantha, we learn something new. So we have that going for us. Hey, that's all that matters. <laughs> all right. Moral victory. Ooh, that's going to do it for us. We're out of here. Until next week, <laughs> I guess be on the lookout for this rule that has that, that, that buried – Five indentions down from the original, like like main ruling, because that's how baseball is. <laughs> Don't forget to smash that like button. Help us out without algori- without with that algorithm. <laughs> give, us, give us a subscription. Hit us up on Twitter at lolly ga- lollygaggingpod. Till next week. Watch some baseball. It's good for you.